You've got a friend in Jesus, and Jesus is the kind of friend we all need and want, right? And so we're grateful for that gift. And uh, not only do we have a friend in Jesus, but we have a friend in God's Word, Scripture. And so I just want to remind us, if you've not yet downloaded the Version Scripture app on your phone and connected Treach as your home church, I want to invite you to do that. It's a powerful gift for you, for God's kingdom, for our church. We're just shy of 300 folks signing up, so why don't you push us over the limit this morning, right? Just go ahead and download it, uh, identify Treach as your home church. And what that does is it pushes you the reading plans, the Scripture reading plans that we're pushing each week that are aligned with our worship series. And so that way you're getting daily devotions and daily Scripture readings that help you connect the dots with what you're hearing on Sunday morning and what you're experiencing as well. Uh, So I sure hope that you'll avail yourself of that. It's a great opportunity because God's Word helps us tremendously to better understand how it is we're supposed to live and how it is we're supposed to build God's kingdom. You know, one of the things we discovered years and years ago is the number one way to grow our faith and relationship with God is engaging Scripture reading Scripture on a daily basis to help us grow in our faith. And so I know you'll want to do that. Hey, we've been trying to also help us better understand how to love where we live. And that's not just about enjoying it, right, thinking it's a great place, but also knowing that we love the people, that we love God in and through the people, that we share what it is God desires for us. And so I hope that you've been encountering a great way for you to love where you live, the way God would want to love where we live so that we can help build God's kingdom. And we know that what's guiding us is this clear vision statement that was developed earlier in the year where we envision a community where people matter, brokenness is healed, and love is lived. When we live into those three kinds of values, it helps us to build God's kingdom and to create what it is God desires for this uh, uh, area in which we live, right? And so just to kind of help us, we've been spending time over these last several weeks talking that through. I just want to lift up a couple of thoughts for us with regard to what these mean right? So part of what we understand with regard to people matter is that um, people matter literally means relationships ought to always supersede rules. Now, rules are important. The commandments of God are important. But a a part of what we realize is even the Ten Commandments are about relationship, right? Relationship with God and relationship with our neighbor. And so when people matter, it means that we place relationship above rules, Whenever we're in conflict, wherever we don't fully understand, wherever we want to do what is right in God's sight, God wants us to develop relationships with people and to love our neighbors and to love those who are around us. Brokenness is healed is an acknowledgement, as as Pastor Doug uh, pointed out last week so well. We're all broken. That's the bad news. We all have parts of our lives that aren't whole. We all have things in our lives that aren't going as we'd hoped. For some of us, it's devastating. For others of us, it's just kind of uh, at superficial level. But the reality is we all need a wholeness and a healing. And the good news is Jesus provides that. And so part of what we want to understand with regard to brokenness is healed is that uh, restoration offers abundance. When we can acknowledge and own that we are broken, we can give that over to God, and God offers a healing and a restoration that offers us fullness and richness of life. And that is the gift that God desires for us. And then finally, when love is lived, golly, all that simply means is that age-old phrase that we've heard over and over again in our lives. When love is lived, it means that actions speak louder than words. It's not enough to talk about love. It's not enough to read about love. 
We must live the love to which Christ calls us, and that's our goal every single day. And so our clear vision statement is helping direct us into that and towards that so that we can build God's kingdom because we want to do that, right? That's what Jesus calls us to is to build God's kingdom. Well, today as we kind of wrap up what all this means, we're, we're trying to discover how love can be lived in very tangible ways. We're going to be in the Gospel of John. I love the Gospel of John. Uh, among the four Gospels, he is very distinct and unique. He offers a Gospel of life. And whether you're in the first chapter or the 21st chapter, what you discover in all throughout John's Gospel is that Jesus is pointing us to life. And when we discover that life, we find abundance and fullness and wholeness and eternity. And that's the gift that Jesus wants for us. So this morning, we're going to be in John chapter 8. Some of you will know this story. Others of you may have never heard this story. My hope is that we'll all be transfixed and transformed by this story of how Jesus lives love. Listen for these words in John chapter 8. Then each of them went home while Jesus went to the Mount of Olives. Early in the morning, he came again to the temple. All the people came to him, and he sat down and began to teach them. The scribes and the Pharisees brought a woman who had been caught in adultery. And making her stand before all of them, they said to him, Teacher, this woman was caught in the very act of committing adultery. Now in the law of Moses, we are commanded to stone such a woman. Now what do you say? They said this to test him so that they might have some charge to bring against him. Jesus bent down and wrote with his finger on the ground. When they kept on questioning him, he straightened up and said to them, Let anyone among you who is without sin be the first to throw a stone at her. And once again, he bent down and wrote on the ground. When they heard it, they went away one by one, beginning with the elders. And Jesus was left alone with the woman standing before him. Jesus straightened up and said to her, Woman, where are they? Has no one condemned you? And Jesus, I'm sorry, she said, No one, sir. And Jesus said, Neither do I condemn you. Go your way, and from now on, do not sin again. Friends, this is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. So Jesus is teaching. He's come back to town, and he's doing what he does so well, right? He's going to teach a lesson, and you can well imagine that if Jesus is teaching, it's a lesson on forgiveness or mercy or grace or compassion or love, right? That's what Jesus taught. So Jesus is in the middle of a great lesson on some of his foundational teachings, and he's interrupted. He's caught off guard, I feel confident, and as he's interrupted, you know that he might want to say a word or two, or he might want to caution the challenger, right? But he doesn't. He listens to what it is that they have to say. And of course, what they have to say uh, is something that demonstrates very clearly that people don't matter. This woman in particular doesn't matter. They present this woman who's been caught in the very act of adultery. I don't know what that looks like, but I mean, they catch her doing this thing, right? And it's clearly not right. It's clearly not a good thing. It's clearly wrong. It's uh, uh, described in Scripture more than once that one ought not to commit adultery. But they sort of drag her into the town square because the law says we must stone her. 
They communicate that to Jesus, right, as if Jesus doesn't already know what the law says, and they present her in such a way that it's clear they do not understand that her life matters. And they present her in such a way, likewise, that they don't really care that she's broken. They don't really want healing for her brokenness. What they want is to highlight her brokenness. She'd been caught in adultery. We need to clearly stone her as the law says. It's fascinating behavior, isn't it? And ultimately, what we know are their words become quite condemning. And there feels, at least, as though there's no love, no care, no kindness, no concern, no compassion for this woman. All we want to do is stone her. All we want to do is follow the law. It's clear that the law says that they're supposed to stone her. But it's also clear that they really don't care about her. It's also fairly clear that they have paid no attention to whatever Jesus has been teaching because they not only interrupt him, but they cause a caustic sort of affront. And isn't it just like us, just generally speaking, people, um, that it's really easy to point the finger? I see what you've done. I see how you've broken the law. I see how you're in the wrong. I see how what you've done is not legal or lawful. Right? I mean, it's really easy to point the finger. It's real easy in pointing the finger to sort of never acknowledge that we've ever done anything wrong, right? Because I'm pointing the finger, and if I'm pointing the finger, it must be your problem, not my problem, right? I mean, that's kind of our normal human behavior. And so this is what they've done, and it's clear that they have no desire to build God's kingdom. They have no desire to do what it is Jesus is trying to help all of us understand what we're supposed to do. It's clear that she's merely a pawn. I mean, remember what, what the text tells us. They, they've presented this argument not literally because she's in the wrong, though clearly she is. They've presented the argument because they want to trap Jesus. They want to catch Him in some kind of problem in which He won't either know what to say or He'll say something they don't like or He'll present an argument that makes no sense to them, right? They're trying to trap Jesus. They don't really care what this woman has done. They, they, they don't really care that she, as a human being, is broken. They, they don't really care that love will heal a multitude of sins. What they want to do is harm Jesus, and what they want to do is put Him to the test. They have no kingdom behavior behind what they want to do. They simply want to catch Him in a wrongful act. And so Jesus does a fascinating thing. I love what He does. You know, um, if I were Jesus, I would have taken a different tact, right? I'd have come down hard on them. I'd have said something maybe I shouldn't have said to them. I'd have uh, been caustic in how I presented to them. But, but Jesus doesn't do that because Jesus knows better. <laughs> he tests better, and, and He's full of more grace than I am. I mean, that's just a reality. And so, He bends down, and He he begins to write in the dirt, right? You saw that. You heard that. And, and, and scholars vary on what it is he's writing in the dirt. I mean, there's all kinds of conjecture about what he's writing. Uh, some scholars think that he's just sort of pondering, right? He's kind of pausing the moment. He's just kind of calming everything down by writing in the dirt. Other scholars think he might actually be writing the sins of everybody who's brought the cause against the woman. Wouldn't that be fascinating? I'd kind of like to get in on some of that, right, to see what those sins were. 
Others think that maybe he's, he's sort of pausing and meditating himself, that he's sort of trying to figure out how it is he's going to uh, literally respond to them. And so he's, he's wanting to calm things down. He's trying to present a, a, a case in which he can do this in a positive and, and helpful way. Who knows what he's writing, but I love what it does because it begins to get at the very core of what it means to love everybody. Because Jesus is not in this moment just defending the woman who's been caught in adultery. Jesus is trying to love the Pharisees and the scribes into the kingdom of God. He's trying to help them better understand that what they are presenting is not helpful and that there might be an alternative way to help this woman know that she matters in God's kingdom, that her brokenness can be healed, and that God's love can be made real and true and whole in and through her, even her, right? And so while he's writing in the sand, everybody's pondering. Wouldn't you love to be in everybody's head? Wouldn't you love to kind of go, well, I wonder what, wonder what they're thinking. I wonder what's, what, what's on their minds. And I can well imagine that they're all reflecting on, um, I don't know, maybe what their sins are, maybe how they're broken, maybe how they themselves have their own kinds of issues. Who knows what they're pondering? But they keep pushing the issue, don't they? They keep at Jesus because they don't have the answer they want. They don't have the test that they're looking for. And so they keep pushing against him. Tell us what to do, Jesus. And that's when he stands up. And he offers a powerful word to them that we all need to hear. Not just the Pharisees and the scribes. Those of you who have no sin, cast the first stone. Ooh, I hate it when Jesus gets it right. Those of you who have no sin, you go right ahead. After all, you deserve to throw that stone. You deserve to make a mockery of her life. You deserve to make this happen if you have no sin. Oh. So one by one, they begin to walk away. And I love what the text says. Did you catch it? The elders left first. Why do you suppose that is? Maybe more life's experience, maybe a little understanding that uh, we all have sinned, that maybe a little life's experience that recommends that I probably ought not cast that first stone, maybe a recalling of what I had done previously. It was interesting this past week, uh, we do a, a Bible study on this particular text for Sunday uh, in our, our, our staff, and, and one of the people in the, in the meeting said, I wonder if one of the people in the crowd might have been the cohabitator of the adultery. Takes two, you know. So Jesus invites them to ponder their own brokenness in a loving way, in a cautious way, in a way that helps us all to be mindful that we have all fallen short. It's not unlike what the Apostle Paul would write to the church at Rome, right, in Romans chapter 3, when he literally says to the Romans and to all who read that text to, mind, to remind ourselves of this fact that all have sinned and fallen short of God's glory. We all have sinned and fallen short of God's glory. 
And a part of what we need to recognize in that falling short is we are broken, every last one of us. And none of us deserves to throw that stone, though most of us would desire to throw that stone. Because it makes us feel oh so much better about ourselves. She is, after all, a sinful woman, right? But it's fascinating to me because I hope you are like me in this one regard. When I realize my brokenness, when I recognize that I have fallen short, when I acknowledge that I am a sinful human being, and when I realize that I've missed God's mark, I'm actually more capable of loving other people because I realize in my own brokenness we're in this together. And I recognize that even in your brokenness, I see myself and I see the richness of God's love. Isn't that fascinating? That in order for us to see the humanity of somebody else, that in order for us to recognize the richness of God's love for somebody else, we have to acknowledge our own sinful nature. But it works, friends. It creates humility. It opens up the door for a possibility that, golly, we might actually have something in common in our humanity. And the one thing that we clearly all have is the potential to be forgiven and loved and set free. You see, Jesus is living love for the accusers as well as the accused. And he's helping everybody to witness what that love can do for everybody. Everybody walks away. Jesus stands up and he looks. Where is everybody? Does, does no one condemn you, he says to the woman? No one, she says. And then he speaks those powerful words that offer healing and wholeness. Neither then do I condemn you. Go. But he's not done, is he? He's just saved her life physically. He's just allowed her to continue to live. He's just opened up the amazing doors of possibilities for her to keep living her life and moving on with her life. He's saved her physical life. But now he gives her forgiveness, and he offers her spiritual wholeness. When you go, woman, sin no more. Now, we don't literally know what Jesus means here. Does he mean never sin again, which, of course, is humanly impossible? Or does he mean quit that behavior? <laughs> that behavior is not helpful. Adultery is not helpful. It breaks relationships. It creates brokenness. It tears at trust. It doesn't do anybody any good. Don't do that anymore. But notice when he does that, after he has loved her, forgiven her, and offered her freedom. Because I maintain, the Scripture does not say this, that that's the formula for helping change people's lives. I maintain that when we love somebody first, that when we welcome somebody first, that when we help people to know that they matter, that their brokenness can be healed, that love can literally have impact on their lives, that that's what changes people, that that's what transforms hearts, not, you're wrong, let me stone you to death, you've clearly broken the law. I don't think that's very helpful. 
Is it needful? I don't think so. Is it written that we ought to do that? I haven't stoned anybody my whole life. But what I have tried to do and what we need to try to do is love people and help them to know that they matter and help them to recognize that that brokenness, whatever it might be, can be healed. And God will do that. That's how God works. I love this story because it helps paint the perfect picture of what God's kingdom can look like when we will choose to live it out faithfully. Some of you may know a guy named Bob Goff. Bob's a fascinating guy who, uh, for 25 years of his adulthood, he was a lawyer. Uh, and, you know, we all have pictures of lawyers. You can picture whatever you want. He happened to be a lawyer who was in the construction defect industry. What does that even mean? Except that you need to make sure that that construct, whatever you're building, is right. And when it's not right, I come in and tell you it's not right, and, and all, the, all the legal stuff starts, right? That's the kind of world he lived in for 25 years. You, you get a picture, right? I, I kind of think of that guy who's in the commercial that's up on the truck with the sledgehammer and goes, you know, whatever his name is or whatever, you know, rah, 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 rah. And that's who I picture, right? That's not Bob Goff at all. Bob Goff, about 15 years ago, uh, in his Christian faith, decided he didn't so much want to practice that kind of law anymore. What he wanted to do was write books, uh, talk motivationally, and help people come to understand the gospel and how we can build God's kingdom. And he's been doing that for about 15 years. You may have heard of him. He's written, I think, roughly about 10 books, and two of those books are profound and life-changing. And they're very simple in their title and in their content. One of those books was simply called Love Does. That's pretty simple, right? In fact, he started a ministry called Love Does where he's helping uh, people in various countries in Africa come to know that God loves them and can help them. Love does because what he knows is love is not a noun, it's a verb. It's an action thing. We got to do something with love. We got to make something of love. We got to help somebody with love. Love does, right? Then he wrote a book because it wasn't clear enough, Love Does. He wrote another book called Everybody Always. My hunch is you get the picture. When Jesus says love people, when Jesus says love our neighbors, there is no exclusion. There is no uh, asterisk. There is no uh, uh, exception. Love people that you really want to love or love people that you really like or love people that have the same values. No, love everybody always. That would be the gospel message. And so Bob wrote these books to help us better understand. And if you've never heard Bob talk, you need to hear Bob talk because when you hear Bob talk, you leave with joy. He makes you laugh. He makes you cry. He makes you understand that God really is love, and we really can make a difference, and we can build God's kingdom. And when you read Bob's books, you see in very real and tangible ways that love really is truthful, and love really does make a difference, and love can transform the world. And Jesus' love is the love that makes that real. And Bob speaks of that and writes about that and helps share that all the time. Because a part of what he knows is love is an action. It's much like John in his first letter would write to the church when he said in 1 John chapter 3, uh, my dear children, don't merely talk about love and tell people that you love them, but rather let the truth of this be known in your action. You see, love does. Love must be lived. Love is not intangible. It is quite tangible. And that's what Jesus was doing with not only the woman, but with those leaders and with the people that gathered because he helped them to realize this truth that um, 
we got to love the way Jesus calls us to love, and we are called to action, not just thoughts, not just imagination, not just talk, but rather go do. It's funny, this past week in preparing for the message, I ran across this saying several different times in social media, and I'd, I'd never really heard it before, but it captivated me because it spoke this powerful truth. And, and the phrase is simply this, the test of Christianity is not just that we love Jesus, but that we also love Judas. Just chew on that for a minute. The test of Christianity is not just that we love Jesus, that's important, but that we also love Judas. The man who betrayed Jesus got to dip his hand in the same cup. The one who would scorn Jesus is the one who received the Lord's Supper from Jesus. The one who would betray him the night before he would go on to death is the one that Jesus allowed him to kiss his cheek. You see, the test of Christianity is not just that we love Jesus, it's that we love the Judases in our world. And there are many, and we create some, and we hate most, but Jesus is asking us to live this love. And we know this love. I mean, the whole reason we're here, the whole reason we follow Jesus, the whole reason we claim to, to be a follower of Him is that we know this love. We've experienced it in our lives, right? John would write about this too, late in the next chapter, 1 John chapter 4. He would just say, uh, we love because God first loved us. And we can do something about that. We can do something with that. And therefore, we're called to make that happen. It's why I love the way you as a congregation do this so well in a corporate fashion. Whether it's love packs or kids eat free or blessing bags or mad camp or any of these things that we do on a corporate basis where you are tangibly loving children or youth or families and making a difference in their lives, it, 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 it is love lived. But do you know that you could do the very same thing that Jesus did for that crowd and this woman any single day of, the, of the, your life? All Jesus did was care. All he did was love. He stood up on behalf of. He helped them to know about, to realize and recognize. And so every last one of us in our everyday lives, whether in our homes, at our workplace, in our neighborhoods, we can embrace people, right? We can reach out and speak to a stranger. We can help people to know tangibly that uh, we can care for their needs. We can provide for people who are suffering. Every one of us can do that. That's what Jesus did. He lived love specifically because he knew that people mattered and relationships make that true. Because he knew that every one of us is broken and he has a healing to offer. And so can we. And so when we do, friends, we build God's kingdom. We make it possible for God's love to be real and to transform hearts. I wonder, can we do that? Can we make that real? I believe we can. I believe we're called, we're equipped, and we're prepared. May it be so, this day and the next, that we can recognize every single day, all people matter, all brokenness can be healed, and love can tangibly be lived by each one of us among whoever. Everybody always, 
and loved us. Thanks be to God that that's true. Will you pray with me? Holy and loving God, thank you for your son Jesus, for the powerful ways in which he loved both the leaders of the Jewish tradition and this woman who had clearly been in sin. Help us, Lord, to have the courage to do the same, to love all people, to help bring the healing that only Jesus, the great physician, can provide, and to help people know that their lives really do matter, no matter who they are or what they've done. God, give us courage to do that, that we can indeed genuinely build your kingdom and offer your love. God, this is our prayer, and we lift it in the name of Jesus, whom we know to be the Christ. Amen.